Welcome, friends. Where have you been? We're back with Takes by the Lake here at Cleveland.com. We have been missing... This podcast has been MIA for, like... February, March, April, May, June, July. Like seven months? Five? I don't know. It's been a long time. Uh, I needed a break from you people. I'm just kidding. You needed a break from me. You just needed me to shut up for like seven months, refresh the, recharge the batteries, right? Get back ready to go. And you also said, Doug, find somebody better than you to talk about the Browns. So Takes by the Lake is back. We're not going to do Browns every week. But man, we sure do Browns a lot of weeks. We're going to try to do it weekly again. That's the plan. i got to figure out exactly what the perfect day is, exactly what maybe a revised perfect format is. But we're going to have guests. We're going to talk about the Browns with outside people. But I think, I think, I think this guy might be on kind of a lot. And you like him. Say hello. Yeah, it's Jake Burns. I'm here. Uh, Woo! It's Jake Burns. He's here. Woo! Training camp week, baby. We're about to have some actual new football in front of us. So this is exciting. Jake and I are in our basement. In my basement, we don't live together. We could live together. We'd get along great. Uh, let me ask my wife if you can move in. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to preview Brown's camp, which we're all going to be covering starting Thursday. And um, we're going to talk for like 90 seconds about Sashi Brown at some point, too, just because I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. Jake Burns, here's what I want to ask you. And I have a Twitter poll that I put out a couple hours ago. You have been studying and writing, and we just discussed this. You've basically written about every single person on the Browns roster for Cleveland.com in the last month and a half. Tell me right now why the 12-4 and 4 prediction that I have plopped on the Browns since December, tell me why that's going to be wrong. Give it to me straight going into camp because I'm, st- I'll be honest, Jake, I'm flying pretty high. As you should be. It's an Whoop. exciting time, right? Um, if you're looking for reasons in which this whole thing goes awry, I think that it, it, it one position group on each side of the football, in my opinion. I know what you're going to say. I'm going to think it in my head, and then I'm going to say, even if I'm wrong, right. I'm going to say that I was right. So go ahead. It's the offensive line. Got it. Because the skill position is as good between running back, wide receiver, quarterback, tight ends as anybody in the league. Bill Barnwell is one of the best football writers out there. He ranks them third in the entire league. I think that's a smart opinion analysis. They could be the first uh, group next year in terms of just seeing the whole thing sort of click, how it meshes, ties in with Baker. Nonetheless, it is the third-ranked skill group out there, and they're they're dynamic. They go four wide at the wide receiver position, all can play. Tight end's extremely uh, effective athlete. Uh, came into his own the end of the year, and then two great running backs. So if you're looking at the offensive line, though, you're looking at two tackles who did not perform well. Um, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay, hold on, okay. hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, I want, I want to stay, I'm gonna stay flying high a little bit. I'm gonna hold, hold your <laughs> offensive line butt. Okay. Which is not the first time someone said that to you. That was a butt joke. Yeah, nailed it. Who's the defensive side? Who's the defensive side? Question mark. To me, it's the linebacker. Okay, I got both right. I don't see people think, Jake, that I don't know anything about football. But I just secretly agreed with you twice, and you played it. Go. Well, listen, I think if the offensive line doesn't perform up to standard, I think you could run into some issues. So that's a, it's, it's, the right word's probably, it's a malleable situation where things bend and move, and all of it is sacks, pressures, quarterback hits are not always on the offensive line, but sometimes they are. So you have to protect Mayfield well. Now, the kid did a great job getting out of the pocket, 
doing some of those things to help his offensive line, and Freddie Kitchens did some things too, but you never know. And they are replacing an all-pro right guard. Um, I shouldn't say all-pro. He did not get all-pro. Borderline all-pro. Fantastic pass-blocking right guard, Kevin Zeitler. And they're plugging him with an MIA right now. We don't know if it's Corbett. We don't know if it's Kalis. We don't know if it's Eric Cush. We don't know yet. So you're looking at three question marks. And that's why a lot of people who have done preseason forecast predictions, Brandon Thorne, who's a writer for The Athletic, does a great job with offensive line study, has them actually the 27th offensive line coming into the season in the NFL. Not good. But you got to say to yourself, how in the heck did these guys eliminate all these issues in the back half of the year? And I think there's some of that... Um, tying in, syncing together, performing together aspect that they can do, they can all come together. I think, in my opinion, they have a better offensive line coach. That could help. But 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 now listen. But now listen. You say you can just come in and just off the cuff, just besmirch Bob Wiley and say the <laughs> guy now is better. But but have you taken into account that Bob Wiley? Had a belly like a bowl full of jelly. That's a rhyme. I like it. I I listen. Bob Have you even considered? I haven't that. considered it. Okay. I've moved on from it. He's he's fine. Bob Wiley's a great offensive line coach. Is he's he? Been a, he's been at a ton of different. Yeah, but he's been around. But is great. he a great he's offensive good. line coach? He's okay, good. okay, I take that back. He's good. But he's this good, guy is really. But good. I think James Campen's better. He's done a great job in Green Bay developing late round talent into productive and not just productive offensive linemen, but very good offensive linemen, and they're doing so with. Probably the toughest quarterback to block for. Aaron Rodgers is notorious for extending plays and putting pressure on his linemen. So I'm just saying the offensive line is a question mark. To me, it could very easily go well, even though the talent is not elite between Hubbard and Greg Robinson. It could still go well. Like it doesn't just because the individuals aren't always judged on an offensive line. It's how they play together, how they play within a system, how they play within a quarterback. It all fits into a certain aspect of things. So, but if you're looking for, in my opinion, what could go wrong, the most plausible thing that could go wrong offensively, you're looking at the offensive line. All right, take a breath. Take a breath. I want to ask you this. Your feet are so tan. Do you wear sandals or like flip-flops most of the time in the summer? 100%, as often as I can. The top of my feet... But they have tan lines. It's embarrassing. Oh, I can see that. But, yeah. the, but the part that I saw was very nice and tan. The top of my feet are very white. Here's my question. And, and, and I, want to, I want to... We're going to keep this tight. Because we like to keep it tight, it takes by the lake. So, so I don't want to go through the whole team necessarily, but I want to dig in on the reasons they may not go 12-4. and four. Yeah. I think if you look at the talent, and if you look at the quarterback, and if you look at the schedule, I think you can get to 12-4 and four very quickly. I would, I would agree with you. I think there are three areas that can get you off 12-4, and four, and those are the three things I want to hit. Let's. Two of them have to do with the roster and the players, and they are the offensive line and the linebackers, as you mentioned. And and I wrote about Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey this weekend, and I think it's this is the similar question I want to ask about both. They have not really addressed either of those position groups under John Dorsey, right? Greg Robinson was kind of like a flyer as a former second-round pick, but it was... It was like a bonus thing that kind of worked out. But they, the guy they start, you know, Desmond Harrison started the first half of last season. We've seen what's happened with Desmond Harrison now. He had some off-field stuff that he got released. Like, that was not a plan. Um, he inherited J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio. He signed Chris Hubbard, which was like fine. But it's like you're signing a guy who was like the sixth guy for the Steelers to be your starting rag tackle. 
what he hasn't done on the offensive line, he hasn't gone out and gotten an Olivier Vernon or a Demarius Randall or Sheldon Richardson or a, a guy, or they haven't drafted someone like Denzel Ward or Greedy Williams for the offensive line. And then on linebacker, again, they got they got Taki Taki and Mac Wilson. I'm just going to call him, I think his first name's Sione, right? Sione, yeah. I'm just going to say Taki Taki all the time. Perfect. Like first name Taki, last name Taki. And then Mac Wilson. Taki Taki and Mac Wilson, first name Taki, last name Taki. Taki Taki and Mac Wilson, they addressed that in the draft. But again, they're not first-round picks. They're not expected to start. Yeah. I wrote about it this week. I think there's a lot of hype and hope around Taki Taki, and I get it. But I'm not thinking to myself, oh, he better win one of these jobs because yeah. you've got to get Kirksey off the field, right? Yeah. That's not how I'm thinking at the moment. So my question, Jake, is this on both sides. Has John Dorsey not addressed those two position groups as much as he has basically every other position group? A, because he felt pretty good about them and like he felt like they didn't need to be addressed as quickly. Or B, actually there's a C too. B, because he thinks they need to be addressed. He just hasn't gotten to it yet. Like on the priority list. Yeah. Um, I guess those, those are the two. Like you, you actually think it's fine and you don't need it to be addressed. Or you just thought cornerback, pass rusher, receiver, running back, quarterback, all those positions are more important positions in the NFL. And maybe like when he gets to this offseason, we are going to see those things addressed. Which one do you think it is? And do you think it's true at both position groups? It's the same reasoning. I mean, it's a deep, that's a good question. I, I was, See, I, would, I ask the questions <laughs> and then you do the smart things. That's right. Well, and sometimes, um, if you had to ask me, I would say that the offensive line is a thing that I think he knew they needed to address, but it's also about opportunity cost, who's available, and the price of those people. So I think that they they needed to improve other positions more drastically. Obviously, they spent money at corner on the number four pick. They spent a quarterback. They addressed that quickly. They did invest in a player they thought was going to play there with the top, essentially another first-round pick. Right, the top of the second round for Austin Corbett. Yes, a guard, not a tackle, not a tackle. And I think at the time not they took tackle. him thinking he could potentially compete. I do. Guard. I really genuinely do. I think he played a lot of left tackle. This is the thought process. This guy played left tackle adequately to above adequately at Nevada. Pretty good. Can he come in and be a left tackle? That'd be great. That solves all of our problems. If not, we see a guy who can translate to guard, center down the line, win some contracts, move about. That's where I think they were. So they did invest there, and they did invest in Hubbard. I think they tried to invest it on the fly, not big money players. Um, you know, so they 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 tried to do some things there, and it held together well last year. Does that mean this year? I don't know. But linebacker, I think they once again felt they needed to upgrade other things. They needed to improve the defensive tackle situation. They needed to improve the opposite rush end because John Dorsey knows of all of those things. They spent money on another cornerback. Of all of those things that you can go out and get, which is the least valuable to upgrading your defense? The data probably says linebacker. Yep. We have, I've inherited this Pro Bowl kid, Joe Schobert, young guy who can play middle linebacker, did it well enough. We have Christian Kirksey who has had good years in the NFL under his belt. I think we can get by with these guys, but I'm going to look at the future, right? I'm going to draft this Taki, first name, last name Taki, and Mac Wilson, who people think Mac can do some things. I've got questions, but that's a different topic. Um, but those are two guys that they think can do some things down the road, be good special teams players until they're ready, not be forced to play. So to answer your big question there, I don't think he's a, 
he said we're good enough at those positions to not worry about them. I think he's addressed the more vital to winning expected points average positions that contribute to winning on a more consistent basis. While he has said, if we don't get the performance from Greg Robinson after this year, we gave him a one-year deal. Hubbard's deal's up after this year. We can address both tackles. We can address center. If, if J.C. Treader needs to be moved on from that contract, we can slide Corbin in and we'll work it all out. But it also could just work. Like, we talk about what could go wrong. It can also they could just be good and, and score a bunch of touchdowns. Like and, it could just work. And it did. It did work. It did in the, the second time. half of last year, which leads me to the thing I really want to talk about as it relates to the offensive line because I think I agree with you. It's a matter of prioritizing, and yeah. it's really not any more complex than that. And we've talked about this a lot. With they're going to get to the point where they're going to have enough good frontline players that in the draft they're not going to have to look for immediate franchise saviors. They're going to think like, for instance. If we don't want to pay Kirksey next year, we take Taki Taki now so that a year from now he's our guy. It's, that's what they did mm-hmm. with Zeitler. Yeah. And they drafted Betonio, and he didn't start last year, but it's like, okay, he's going to be the guy now. It's just a matter of is he going to be good enough to actually win the job. But here's my question about the offensive line. And I wrote this. And by the way, I put your name in my column on Sunday. Did you see it? I appreciate that. Did you see I it? I said see it. our Jake Burns, I think I said. Ooh, our Jake Burns. Excessive. I like it. Um, first name Jake, last name Jake. The, the thing. <laughs> Jakey, Jakey. <laughs> Boy, if he gets good, it's if Taki Taki gets good, it is now going to be hard for me to not call you Jakey Jakey. Jakey Jakey. Uh, you're tied to him. Okay. Um, can they be good? Can they be 12 and 4 with an average to below average offensive line? If your quarterback is mobile, if your play caller is smart, if you get the ball out quick, if you have a variety of guys that you can get the ball to. Yeah. How good does your offensive line actually have to be? So like offensive line performance, how they're judged, will be tied into Mayfield. It will be tied into how quickly you get rid of the ball. I think that they – did you say average to above average or average, average to, below? to below? Like I don't uh, think they can be below average. Like I don't think they can be genuinely bad. Austin Corbett or, or Kyle Kalis or Eric Cush, whoever wins the right guard job, is just continually getting beat. They're struggling to maintain any sort of pocket for him, and it just becomes overwhelming. They're below average. It will hinder them. I don't think they go 12-4. and four. If they can just be average, rely on Mayfield to sort of use his ability and feel within the pocket, getting out of it when he needs to extend plays with his feet to throw. He doesn't run. He just extends and throws, which is great because he's good at it. And they can develop ways to help them, as they've always done. Tight end chipping, tight end inline alignment, which changes the depth at which those guys are rushing off the edge, running back chipping, slowing things down with screen game, doing multiple sorts of play action. You get it. Screen passes. There are ways scheme can mitigate pressure if you're playing an elite defensive end. Like, I'm fascinated how they handle Aaron Donald week three. That's one of my favorite things to watch is how the hell do you slow that guy down? Because he's yeah. crazy. So, like, I think there are ways. They just, but again, there are third and 13s where I can't give you help. It's got to be, you got to be able to block that defensive end and give Mayfield three seconds to get rid of this football. If they are below average, it doesn't mean their season's over, but a 12-4 and four becomes a 9-7, and seven, in my opinion. It can, okay. be, it can swing three games. It can absolutely, if your offense is, is, is just derailed, you cannot pick up any consistent momentum, you can lose three games, but they're good enough that they can overcome that. Go nine and seven, perhaps even ten and six, and that's you know the USA Today prediction whole thing was that's <laughs> USA a, Today. What do they know? That's the they whole covered the whole nation. Yeah, we just, we just covered Cleveland. 
So they they hold this whole thing. The Browns go ten and six, and they don't make the playoffs, and it's two thousand seven all over again. It'll be really Boo. disheartening. But that's the that's a realm of possibility if this line if the offensive line does not play as well because I think they're going to need to score. I really do. Do do so 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 two questions off of that. One is, and how many times did you say before the podcast? How many times have you watched all each of the sixteen uh, games got, from last year? At least fifteen times each. I've done way too. I've. My brain is what you tell me what you want to know about a game. I'll tell you everything there is to know. Challenge. All right. So week eleven, third yeah. and eight in the middle. Of, I'm just kidding. Uh, how good when Baker Mayfield gets pressured? It's a bye week, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm telling you, I've done too much. Anyway, that that was that was dangerous right there because it in one moment showed how much you know and how little I know. <laughs> the, the, of all the weeks I picked, I picked the bye week. Um, when Baker Mayfield gets pressured, what does he do? And as a year two quarterback, yeah. how different will it be? Does he escape and throw on the run and do it well? Does he throw picks? Does he take sacks? What's his inclination when there's pressure, especially interior pressure over the three middle guys in the line? Well, he didn't deal with a ton of interior pressure, so that's where it's interesting. Because Zeitler was so – you mentioned Kevin Zeitler. You especially mentioned his pass top, blocking. Top five that's pass where blocking he, guard in the league last year, and he's proven to do that over his career. And his Madden rating reflects it. Let's not let's not miss that. But anyway, they here's what it is. If a there were some Madden ratings that made you mad, I was a very upset yeah. guy. But I love Andre Weigard. I've had him on my podcast, and he's a good dude. So we'll leave it at that. So if a quarterback knows, I typically have tackles who would be upfield. I have a feel for a, I can escape how I can escape. If you are unpredictable in which your your offensive line may leak pressure, it causes a little bit of eye drop where you're you're unfortunately looking at what's going on in front of you, taking your eyes off of downfield, or you lose a feel in the pocket. Some of that stuff can creep in. I thought he got way better at it as the year went on in terms of feeling when he needed to escape, feeling when he needed to spin out, getting more comfortable with guys getting up onto him before he reacted. Because sometimes defensive linemen will say, we're going to get upfield to a certain depth, we're going to stop, we're gonna, we, we know which way he'll go. I just wrote about this on Sheldon Richardson, the twist stunt that they did that killed Aaron Rodgers. Sometimes you can get quarterbacks in habits where if you send a defensive t- end inside – Looks like the defensive end's going inside. What's the quarterback going to do? He's going to try to escape laterally. But then you have this twisting defensive tackle ready to clean up and make a play. So, like, there are ways that defensive coordinators can plan those things. But if Mayfield can feel that, continue to feel it, continue to grow, I thought by the end of the year he started to know, hey, I need to throw this or I need to get out of the pocket and try to throw it. If he can keep doing those things, which there's no reason, we have no data, no evidence that says he won't throw well on the move, getting out of the pocket, we saw it in... A, uh, I think it was a mini camp or OTA video the Browns put out. Just darts when he's on the run. He's really good at it. He's effective on the run thrower. And um, I, I have no reason to believe that that's going to take a step back. That is something he's going to have to continue to do. I think when the entire offensive staff sits down at the table and they're talking about it, they're saying, hey, are we making unnecessary risks at offensive line by trading Kevin Zeitler? They say, well, we have a quarterback we think can beat the blitz by throwing through the pressure. Um we call that replace the blitz, throw where they're coming from. And we have a guy who we think can get out of pressure situations with a natural feel for the pocket. Let's let James Camp and coach him up, and we can win this way. I think that that is a risk that they said, would we rather be really strong on the interior offensive line, or would we rather loosen that a little bit and have this guy and that's get an unbelievable playmaker on the outside? The best receiver in Cleveland it's, since Paul Warfield. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that's where they're at. And I think there's no reason to believe Mayfield won't still continue to be good at that. 
unless we have data or film that shows us otherwise. He got really, really good at it. One of the best, I actually think he had the best out-of-pocket pro football focus passing grade um, other than Patrick Mahomes, which mean, that means something. Seven more questions. Uh, this is going to work. This is going to work. I just, I like this because I don't have to think. I just have to make you think. Okay. Freddie Kitchens and Todd Monken. You have written about it. People have talked and written about it. Todd Monken is more downfield guy, sure. right? Pairing that with some of this Freddie he Kitchens stuff. He chases explosive play. So you, you'll hear him talk about it all the time. What is your belief in the ability, if the line is not great, especially early on, what will they do from a play calling standpoint? Will they have to get the ball out of Baker's hands more quickly? Will that mitigate how much they can go down the field? And what is your belief in Freddie to be able to react maybe in the moment, in the middle of a game of like, dude, our right guard is getting abused every single play. I'm going to have to go to this and call these kind of plays. How good do you think he'll be at that? I mean, I thought that they got really good at adjusting what they did last year. So just on the fly, adjusting with tight ends, adjusting with... They would run play action schemes, which I really enjoyed, where they... I haven't really wrote about this, but I should have wrote about it, where they just ran this counter. I'm not sure if everyone knows what a counter is. It's it's basically you're gap blocking to one side, which means you're stepping to the inside, and then the guard on the backside pulls around to kick out a defensive end. That would be the run scheme. Well, they ran play action off that where they did the identical thing, but they would take a guard and have him block the defensive end. Kind of slows the defensive end down because he sees run action. Then he has a guard working on an island against him. Now, that was really effective when you had Zeitler and you had Batonio. They still have one, you know, half of that equation. I think Corbett pulls and moves pretty well, so it'll be something that they might try with him. But my point is, that's how you mitigate some pressure. If they're having issues... Um, they'll they'll do a lot of max protection things, which they did last year. You have, I mean, if you can send out Jarvis and Odell or Jar or Odell and Callaway, two guys who can really lift a lid off a of defense, you don't mind keeping seven guys in the block because we're going to push the ball down the field vertically, and we buy time. We can buy time and have two on two two on one blocking if nobody blitzes. So like that's how they're looking at it. How do we get us in the best numbers? How do we use our skill players? Because yes, there are going to be times where we don't want to keep extra guys in and block. And at that point, we will do different things to help out, or we'll just say, "Hey, we got to get by. We got to get by with this on the fly. If we need to, we can call line shifts where we can say, "Hey, we're going to take the center immediately, put him down on. If we're playing Aaron Donald, we're going to double team him. I don't care if he's playing the shade or if he's playing the three. Those are technique alignment spots. We're doubling him. Find it. Call the pass protection his side, two on one every time. We have to. Those are the things that they'll have to do. I think there will be situations where they're going to play really good. Um, you know the the, the T.J. Watt. They're going to play good rushers different spots all over the field. They can do it. I truly have believed that Freddie found a way to make it work. Todd Monken does not come from the same sort of heavy protection scheme stuff, so I understand why there might have been a riff, or not a riff, why there was some slow, sort of slow acclimation for Todd into what Freddie's doing because they're coming from different perspectives. Um, the only quarterbacks in the league last year to consistently throw the ball past the sticks and yards per attempt were... Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, they push the ball downfield. Both the guys, the two quarterbacks that Todd Monken had in Tampa Bay. Exactly. Right. So I think they're going to try to find the best mixture of Todd's uber-aggressiveness that is rooted in playmaking and will give the Browns opportunities with Freddie's, hey, buddy boy, slow down a little bit. we got to protect our quarterback. Here's where we need to meet him. There will be some headbutting, that go, but they're two smart guys. The thing that I've noticed is, these relationships run into issues when there's a, a guy in the in the relationship who says, I drive the bus. 
that sort of stuff. Who is an ego-driven... Do you, do you don't even jump on that bit. I saw your face light up. Who could it... I, well, that's, that phrase sounds familiar. <laughs> so, like, if there's one of those guys in a relationship, it's not going to work. But these two are humble guys who want to make it work for the best of both of their careers. And there's no reason to think these two smart guys can't figure out some way. Now, is it going to result in big plays? I don't know. But I do know they're going to put their best foot forward to protect the quarterback despite losing that right guard, and give those playmakers on the outside as many chances as they can. Jake, you are a great X and O football guy. I think you could be a life coach. I don't think so. Yeah, don't let someone drive the bus. Drive the bus together. Two steering wheels. Co-driving. You touched on the other thing I wanted to ask about this, which is the idea of keeping in more guys to protect. It would seem to me, and it's. I'm just gonna. I want to mention this, even though you mentioned it, so that people again think that I know something. Because I was gonna say it before you said yeah, it, but yeah, yeah. I always feel good when we say the same thing. To me, if you're if Odell Beckham's one of the guys you're putting out in the route, you feel better if it's only a three man route instead of a five man route. Sure. David and Joku is a very popular like breakout pick. But who's the guy? Who's the other tight end that they got from Kansas City? Demetrius Harris. Demetrius Harris isn't he a better blocker? He is by he's better than Darren Fells and he's better than David Njoku. Most everyone is better a, than David Njoku, right? Yeah. Well, no, is that unfair? As a pass blocker, I would agree that he's never been comfortable. But I think he's gotten adequate or average as a run blocker. I think he gets a bad rap there. But Harris was brought in because he's better. There's no so, doubt. So, so there will to me won't there be moments where David Njoku in certain situations against certain teams maybe won't even be on the field as much because you're going to think to yourself, well. We're keeping in six. Yeah. We got to keep in six, and we don't need Njoku the, the threat as a pass receiver because we're putting Callaway, Jarvis, and Odell out, out there. Mm-hmm. And again, at times when, you know, Nick Chubb, the first eight games of the year, may not like it, but that dude in certain moments of a game is going to be a glorified offensive lineman if this offense is going to run, as you might think, because it does make sense to me that. Odell allows you to max protect with confidence more than if you felt like, well, no one's going to get open if yeah. we aren't pushing the defense with yeah. more guys down the field. And I think they, they they saw that. Week 17 against Baltimore, Baltimore just said, hey, we're going to rush seven guys every snap, and we are going to make Mayfield beat us by throwing to tight receivers. Like, they were covered so well all the time that I think the Browns thought, I, I would imagine that John Dorsey sat there in Baltimore and said, hey, when this last interception was thrown, I'm not watching our guys not separate. I need to see separation. How do I get that player into our building? And that's when he thought, I'm going to go after Odell. I'm sure he's thought about it before, but that's when it's like, I could see that moment being like, this is what we have to do. we got to get this guy. If we want to be a Super Bowl contender that I envision next year, we got to have that guy. But to your question, you have to be careful because if you put Harris on the field and you only keep him in to throw, it's a tendency giveaway. Yep. And it will be a problem. Defenses will know this guy is staying in 82% of the time. I'm not going to pay much attention to him, and I'm going to really play this hook zone right here. Even though it's man-to-man, I'm just going to play my tendency. I'm going to play this hook zone that Odell loves to run this slant in, and boom, it's picked off. It's going the other way. Like you got to be careful with that. There's a balance to it, and you de- you do need Najoku to be able to, like they instead of asking him to stay in and block all the time, they said, hey, we're going to have you one-two block, chip block, and then go out mm-hmm. as a late safety valve or whatever. So they'll... I think they'll still do a lot with Njoku. I don't think they're going to say Harris, you're on the field as a, as a and he can catch the he can play a little bit. Like he he's not it's not fast, but he's a 66 guy, 67 guy. He's got a big frame. He can go up and get the football on occasion. Like he's not limited. He's a better athlete than Darren Fells without a doubt. And Darren Fells did some things. He had like 
Yeah, like five targets and four catches and three touchdowns, something like that. So, like, that role is still there. And Freddie loves to use multiple tight ends. They'll still do that stuff. But um, Najoku's going to have to be on the field. He's going to have to be comfortable doing whatever it is, whether it's in the wing run blocking, whether it's in the inline, um, you know, pass blocking occasionally, or if it's it's full-on chip release stuff. Like, he's going to have to feel comfortable with that. And Nick Chubb's gonna he's not a he's not an ego guy. He'll do whatever they want him to do. They'll get him touches in his um capacity. There there's nobody I have less doubt about not caring whether they're getting the football all the time than Nick Chubb. He's just the ultimate team guy. So they gotta balance it all though. You're right. Like if I was the offensive coordinator of the Browns, I would say, how can we balance pushing Odell, Jarvis, Higgins, whoever's the third receiver in, but yet giving us a guy and a half, call it a guy and a half, a guy truly staying in, running back staying in, blocking, and getting a chip and go. Like, they need to sort of balance that stuff out. Because even if you're just putting three and a half guys out on a route, I keep saying a half because it's like he's chipping and then releasing, he's a safety valve, that's 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 good. They're good players. Like, they're good players that are hard to cover, and then you have to balance as a defense. we got to really respect Nick Chubb. So, um it's a burden. I think we talk about what could go wrong with the Browns. I just don't think about people who spend enough time, and myself included, to say, hey, this could go really right, oh. and they score a ton of touchdowns, and they go 12-4. and four. That's that's all I do. <laughs> all I do for the whole summer is sit around and talk about how it could go right. That's why I thought it was very important to have the how it could go wrong, because from here on out, every edition of Takes by the Lake is going to be why they're going 12-4, and four, why they're going 12-4. and four. That's right. Where are you right now? And, and, and I've done it with, with my Ohio State pick. My initial Ohio State pick is a 9-3 and three season. And I said I reserve the right to change my mind because we're going to watch preseason practice. I want to watch Justin Fields develop. I'm going to gather in all the information. I'm not going to hold myself to a pick in the middle of July. With the Browns, I'm not moving off 12-4. and four. I don't care what happens. They, they could A sinkhole could open up under the practice fields in Berea and suck the whole team down into the center of the earth. And the, the, the 45 people who are just like watching practice that they come out and put on the field instead, I would still say they're going 12-4. and four. You have tied yourself to Taki Taki. I have tied myself to 12-4, and four, and I am happy to do it because I want the credit when it happens. What's your record now? And you're allowed to change it because you haven't been as boisterous about a single record, but I want people to have an idea now as someone who has watched every game 15 times and has analyzed every person on the roster for Cleveland.com six different ways. What's your pick? I feel really comfortable in 11-5. and It's what I did the first time I went through it is, is it feels like, and this is obviously grading everything with the healthy, clean injury slate. It, all of those things are, are, you know, in a perfect and ideal situation. Because you can't do anything. You can't say, hey, I think Odell's going to get hurt week eight. Like, you just can't do that. So I think if you look at the talent, who they're matching up with, after they get through the first six weeks, if they can go even two and three in the first six weeks, that schedule gets super favorable. They do play Pittsburgh twice, but we still don't know what Pittsburgh is either. And they got a lot of problems of their own over there. So I feel really confident in 11-5 and five if things take off. you got to look. Doug, the formula is... A, a an influx of roster talent in a year two quarterback, the Eagles. Yep. Twenty seventeen. Year two quarterback Deshaun Watson. Yep. Eleven and five Houston. Twelve and four Chicago Bears. And Mitchell Trubisky wasn't that good. Yep. Twelve and four. It is the the formula. Patrick Mahomes. Not that his team didn't have a good record the year before, but he carried it over. Yep. To the AFC's best record is a year two quarterback. People can laugh about it. I've been really stern about this point. If you're looking at recent trends. How can you not say it makes sense? 
it doesn't make sense for Baker Mayfield to take off and leave. They have one of the best groups of skill position players in the NFL. They have two respected. I know Freddie's only called a half a season, but he he drew rate. He won the freaking job because of how he called offense. And Todd Monken is as respected in the actual coaching and analytical side of things as anybody calling plays in the NFL. So, like, the formula is there. It is as there as it could ever be. Now, could things go wrong when a season starts and things don't gel? Sure, but that's a pessimistic way to view it. And it's like, we don't know those things until we get there. And if you guess that, you're just being you're just being negative to be negative. All of the equational things are there for this team to have a really good season, whether it's 12-4 and or 11-5. and It's winning the division. The goal should be the talent is there, the coaching is there, the players are there to go – 11-5, 12-4, win the division, go to the playoffs. From there, it's a wild card. You never know how it goes. But that should be the expectation. Does it mean people get bent out of shape if they go 9? It doesn't mean that. But th- th- think about where we are. Two years ago, the Browns couldn't win a stinking football game. They came off one win, and then they won none. And now we're talking about it is actually realistic and plausible for them to go 11, 12 wins in, in the playoffs. That's remarkable. And it's And it's... The whole part of that is it's like it's not, oh my gosh, how did they go from zero wins to twelve wins in two years? It's uh, that was the plan. That yeah. was like that, like they, it's all connected. And that segues into Sashi and that segues Brown. into listen. Nobody, I, like, does anyone want, want to hear me talk about Sashi Brown? No, but listen, we know that from a roster building standpoint, his ideas, his willingness to sacrifice the present in the name of the future, was the first step towards getting the Browns here. John Dorsey gets credit for all the picks that he made. He he made picks that Sashi Brown gave him extra shots, right? Sure. I think him going to Washington, it's the same thing as Paul DePodesta. Mm-hmm. For, for Sashi Brown to try to do it with the Washington Wizards and the NBA, it's the strategy. It's the idea of roster building. And I think roster building is like the most interesting thing in sports. And it really is. It, it, it's why I, we play fantasy football. It's why we it is. And stuff. it's a version of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's what David Griffin's doing yeah. Uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans right now. But it, but if you tried to bring David Griffin into another sport and say, give us your strategies, yeah. you know, you have to get the ownership to buy in. But I said, I joked on Twitter, I said, I'm going to bet on the Wizards to like win the NBA title in 2024-25. Because, you know, you can you can argue, and certainly uh, Sashi's track record in this particular selections of particular players is not stellar. I think it's not as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. But also, he was kicking the can down the road, and I think it's I think it's very sensible. You've got to be able to sell ownership on the idea. But we're here because of Owen sixteen. It's not a yeah. miracle that to predict twelve and four after Owen sixteen. It's all connected, and it's, so it's like the guy who has fifty dollars to buy all the ingredients for dinner. He has to find a way to make that work. Then there's the chef that comes in and cooks it. it those two, because I don't think you can say that John Dorsey. Could have done Sashi Brown's job. Well, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have wanted to. Exactly. He wouldn't have had the stomach for it. Exactly. He doesn't go to the grocery store. Someone delivers. Yeah. Him. And I don't think Sashi Brown could have done as good a job. Thank you. I knew that was John Dorsey. <laughs> I don't go to the grocery store. <laughs> ask him that question. Uh, John, you actually go to the grocery store. You probably say yeah. But um, I don't think Sashi could have done what John did as well. I think John is a, is a very keen talent evaluator. So like. If I, I just don't think that people are thinking of this the way that I would be considering if I was a team that was perpetually terrible. I'm the Miami Dolphins, and they've been terrible for a little while. Now they went to the playoffs four or five years ago or whatever it was now. How do I get – who's the best asset collector GM type in the league? Get him here. Let's, yeah. let's do this for two years, 
and then we'll bring in somebody who can close the door like we saw John Dory. I just think that that, like the NFL should be, is so trend and, and good old boy in nature. Everybody does the same things. They hire the same coaches. I would be thinking, look what the Browns have done in a short window of time here from where they were to where they are now. How could we do something similar? And, um, you know, I would consider thinking, like, who's the best asset collection type on the market? How do we do that? How do we stay savvy? How do we use the baseball model and sell a contract to get a pick? Yep. Give money or take on a contract to get a pick. Those sorts of things are what I would be thinking. And I, I think the Colts have done it. I think they've done a very sound job with that, but not many are doing it. No, they're, they're not. And it, it, the, the, you have to be willing to do it. Yeah. It's the willingness. And the, and the Colts, you need your quarterback to get hurt. Yeah. It, it was, well, it was, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of situation. You either need your quarterback. you got, you got to get your quarterback and then hope he gets hurt so yeah. you can acquire assets. Or you've got to put your quarterback acquisition at the end of the process, yes. which is what the Browns did. And it's yeah. like, why... You know, Carson Wentz just got a huge giant extension in Philadelphia. If he was here and everything else was the same, you would not be able to pay Odell Beckham and Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson yeah. to the degree that you're doing it because you'd be paying Carson Wentz some of that right now. And, and, you and can't all the take things. a quarterback project. You cannot take 21 year old Sam Darnold. Right. Because you don't know if, okay, Sam Darnold might be really good by 24. We've had this You've got to pay him. Right, so you, you, you've got to. There's a lot of stuff about getting things to line up in your window in the same way, and I think in the end, the window for the Browns is lined up very successfully. And I think the other thing people have to understand is it absolutely starts now. This is not a build where oh, I don't think they're ready to win now. It's gonna, no, this is the win now window before you pay Miles Garrett. And I don't before think you this pay is all the year people. before the year. Yeah, I think this is the year. I don't think so. I want to ask one more thing, and then we'll we'll get out of here. I would not bet any money on them to win the Super Bowl. I think they're really trying. The thing that told me that they are saying this is the year we want to win the Super Bowl was Gerald McCoy. I think they really want to win because they're going to have some hard decisions to make that they're going to let talent walk. But but so the guys they could lose next year, they could lose Randall, could they lose could lose Schobert. Could lose um, Robinson. They could be they but, could be replacing but their they might linebacker, get... their free safety, their left tackle, all in the but, middle core guy, Rashard Higgins is up for a deal too. So, I, I mean, I get that. I, I think it's very hard to expect them. To, I mean, like you even look at the, 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 the Bears last year. Sure. And it's like, I missed a kick. But again, it's just one of those of like, were they ready to do what they needed to do? The Rams took a year before the year. Yeah. Right? They got to the Super Bowl. They were 11-5 and five the year before and lost in the playoffs yeah. before they got to the Super Bowl. I just think it's going to be very hard to string together Almost the three almost perfect games you're going to have to string together as a young team that I just think something's going to go wrong. So I would not spe- I would not put any of my money yeah. on them as a Super Bowl bet. But I said this on TV with Les Levine the other night. I'd hammer the over in the regular season. Yeah. I would bet all my money. That would if you're gonna if you're gonna take any of your money and bet on the Browns, I just I wouldn't waste it on a Super Bowl bet. I'd yeah. bet win the division. Yeah. I'd bet the over of whatever it is nine yeah, nine and I'm, a half. Well, they get to the playoffs, injuries and, happen, it, and any weird. You're right. Any weird number. Do you remember the Raiders a few years back? They're they're twelve and four, and Derek the, Carr breaks his ankle. You just never know. I and and they you. were right there. They're another example of of teams making this jump with the young yeah. quarterback. So I will say I don't think they're going to make the Super Bowl next year. I guarantee. I mean this this season they're not making the Super Bowl. 
Next season, I guarantee they make this. Okay, Bowl. so like, I will tell I'm, you this: I'm not guaranteeing. <laughs> I'm not going out on a limb like you. I know everybody heard that you're guaranteeing Super Bowl next year, but I'm telling you, I guarantee they're trying like hell to win it this year. That's my. <coughs> they are. They are saying we have the elite talent that we're going to keep. We're going to keep Chubb, or sorry, we're going to keep Miles. We're going to keep Baker. We're going to keep Ward. We have plans, but we have to plan it. And they're in this rollover cap bubble. Which means the salary cap allows yes. them to go over, but it doesn't allow them to go over the next year. Because why can they go over now? Because of because of our man Sasha. Yeah. So it just so that's what I'm saying. This is that. like a one yes. year no, thing that next year, like if you lose Schobert, you lose Randall, you lose some of these pieces because you're saying if we re-sign Schobert for three years, really jeopardizes signing back Denzel. Into I get it. That's all so far away, and I'm not doing that. But my point is, like, you have this elite talent, you have plans, so no matter what, I'm keeping them. Then you have this next tier of really talented players that it's like, we can only keep two of those four. And, and those, are the hard, those are the hard, that's the privilege of winning. And I is. joked about it. it I joked, I was yelling this, I think, at our Cleveland.com uh, pre-draft yeah. event that we had. Too many good players. That's like why you, It's why you have to draft. It's actually true yeah. that they're going to get to a point where... They're going to have good players walk because they have to pay the better players. Well, it's like that's why you have to draft well. You have to not waste picks on trades that don't work out or whatever. That's why they talk about all the time the um, uh, picks that come back. What are those compensation picks? Because you need, for example, you need, if you know I cannot sign Demarius Randall because these safety contracts are out of control, we cannot spend that money at that position I need Shelter Redwine to be good. He's got to be at least above average. That's yeah. what you're saying. We have to have Taki Taki. We have to have Mac Wilson be good enough that we feel comfortable stepping in on rookie contracts next year. Like you're, you're literally thinking. John Dorsey's thinking is, I'm not worried about this year. This is done. I'm worried about 2020, 2021, 2022. How, how do we have the next step of guys stepping in? That's why you have to draft and, so well. And I, w- and I do think. I think there are reasonable questions about John Dorsey's ability to execute a long-term plan and keep things together and Very manage, fair. make the hard decisions. And it, I just if it, it, it's too bad. I, I always sort of advocated for. I thought Sashi was fine. Mary Kay always thought keep Sashi like oversee things, bring in a football guy to make the picks. I think. I mean, in the end, she probably was right. And that if you had Sashi and Dorsey right now, and Sashi saying. We've got to do this and this and this for the plan. Manage the cap. Figure yeah. out the rollover stuff. We've got to prioritize these types of positions in the draft to fill in for these guys. Now you go pick them. See, that's where now I you think say they, they still have that guy, De Podesta. De Podesta so, is so good at it that you've got to say, listen, you're going to have to make a choice between Higgins, Randall, yes. and Schobert. Yes. You can keep one. Yeah. Who do you keep? That's that. And then Dorsey can decide. Yes. But you have to have a realistic understanding of how you're going to keep this rolling long term because you can't spend Miles' money yeah. on Rashard Higgins. And you can't spend Denzel's money on Joe Schobert. So it's just very interesting to me how it's all. I would feel less confident if, if I hated seeing Andrew Barry go because I thought he was great. Um, but, you know, you're going to have really good – your front office talent's really good. They're going to leave on occasion and you know because you can't promote them. You can only promote them so far. So I feel okay with it because – Paul DePodesta is still here. They can keep. They understand. John Dorsey. He saw when things went awry in Kansas City. Some of the things they had to do. And don't get it twisted. If we're calling Kansas City a failure or nope. a nightmare, right. that, that's complete. That is no. Not I mean, true. look. I mean, they they're as set up to win as no, any team exactly. in, the, in the league. But they have had to lose some guys along the way. Yeah. And by the way, their quarterback's not just good; he's transformational. Yes, and that sure helps a lot. 
And you're hoping that's what Mayfield is. If yeah, you can you do. do that in year two. So anyway, I just think that they have the right balance. I get I love I liked what Sashi did and I liked what I like what John will do. And I think if Depot wasn't here, who was adamant and I think the good part is that Depot is very much in Jimmy Haslam's ear and he really values what he has to say. So it's not going to be a mow you over John Dorsey situation. I think that they will continue to work that balance and I like what they've done looking at young guys to step in for some of those guys that they say are going to leave. Like their first picks in this draft were geared toward linebacker is going to have to be you addressed. Picked, you picked a Kirko Free replacement. He's going to have to you be picked addressed. a Randall replacement. Those are things that they're looking at, and I think that, that that's what they'll continue to do. Is look. So when I see draft picks, some people think of like, man, what can Sheldrick Redwine friggin' do for us this year, man? What is he? There's nothing to do anything. Nothing. He needs to run down the field on kickoff, and he needs to run down the field on punt team. Then I need him in 2020 to be able to handle playing free safety or 2021. So that's where it's at. The poll we put out as we gear up for the season compared to where you might have been on this when last season ended, the idea of the Browns going 12 and 4 is blank. There were four choices. The overwhelming winner with 44% of the vote was is getting more realistic. So the fans is, are ready for camp. That is people who maybe a, a, a half a year ago would have thought 12 and 4 yeah. sounded crazy yeah. and now they're coming around on it. 22% still said it's preposterous. 17% said 12 and 4 is right on. That's what I would have voted. You've been on 12 and 4 from the get-go and 17% said it's getting less realistic that maybe you're getting worried, you're focusing on linebacker and offensive line and those kind of things. Overall, then, if you combine like the more optimistic and less optimistic, it's 61 uh, for no, it's yes, it's 61 for the more optimistic and 39 for the less optimistic. So that is a fan base that is leaning more toward 12 and four uh, than maybe some people would have anticipated. The third thing that I was going to bring up, we'll get to it next time, is I certainly do think if you're looking for a third thing of why they won't go 12 and four, linebackers, offensive line. And then it's a first-year head coach, which I think is a reasonable thing. It's part of why I'm picking Ohio State to go 9-3. and three, But the more I think about Ohio State and the more I think about the Ohio State and the Browns together, which I'm going to do all year because there are so many similarities between Freddie Kitchens and Ryan Day, really, to me, I'm saying— If you saying, think that's going to be a problem, I could not disagree with you anymore. It'll be our first disagreement. About whether a first-year coach is a problem? I, I will say this. The reason that I think that I've come around that I'm expecting the Browns to be better than they've ever been and I'm expecting Ohio State to be like worse than they've ever been, mm -hmm. at least since 2004 in a season that wasn't made nuts by the NCAA stuff, it's not the first-year coach. It's the first-year coach and the first-year quarterback. Yeah. And so that if this was Freddie Kitchens has never done this and you're planning on starting rookie Baker Mayfield – I'd be like, man, I'm at least expecting the yeah. first half of the year to be rough. Yeah. It's really my, my Ohio State prediction is much less about Ryan Day and more about Justin Fields and not expecting Justin Fields to be bad, just expecting him to make some mistakes yeah. that maybe cost you a game or two. And I'm not thinking Ohio State's going to go 4-8. and eight. It's just that 9-3 and three for Ohio State can be seen as disastrous. But that's why I'm not really – I'm not worried about Freddie as a first-year head coach because like Ryan Day, I think he relates well to the players. And then I think he's got the quarterback and he's got all the guys around him who, are, for lack of a better word, I think are going to make it easy. Like he's got a man in Gigos and some people are wound up about what Odell's going to do in the locker room. I'm 0% worried about that. Yeah. But he, uh, he has talent. Yeah. And talent's a new coach's best friend. So we can get in more to Freddie in the weeks to come. Jake Burns will definitely be uh, a, a hopefully regular part of Takes by the Lake going forward. Again, we're going to try and do this every week. Thanks for sharing our basement.
I mean, it's our basement, it's Jake. Our basement. It's our basement. It's our cubby in the basement. Jakey, Jakey. Jakey, Jakey. Um, so, thanks to you guys for listening. Um, we're back. We're back. If you had subscribed and hung on and waited for this, we appreciate that. If you subscribed and you gave up, it's like make sure you get resubscribed. We're going to do it every week. We'll find the right day. My Buckeye Talk podcast comes out on Wednesdays. So I'm trying to figure out what the right day is in the middle of the week. Also make sure you're listening to our Orange and Brown um, Browns podcast, the Orange and Brown podcast. Um, that's with Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, and Mary Kay Cabot. More great Brown stuff from them. Make sure you're subscribed to Mary Kay's Project Text subscription. You can go to cleveland.com slash project text and see all the people who will text you one or two things a day, insight into your favorite teams. I do it about Ohio State. Mary Kay does it about the Browns. So if you're getting geared up for the season, think about that. It's $3.99 a month. It's a really good value. People seem to uh, seem to like it. But this is an even better value because it's free and because Jake's here. So we appreciate you, Jake Burns. I'm Doug Maurice. That was Takes by the Lake. Welcome back to everybody, and we'll talk to you next time.